Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. The middle to late 1980s were an interesting time for me watching television. I found it to be more polished than TV that had been going on in the earlier part of the 80s and certainly very different from what was going on in the 70s. One thing that changed for me dramatically is the presence of cable TV in my family's house had grown. We had it on one television, very happy about that, in our living room. It was this amazing treat. But then at one point, one of my older sisters decided she was working and that she would like to have cable television as well and that she would pay for it. So she had cable TV installed in her room, which was the next room over to me. Naturally, when she wasn't there, I constantly would go in there and watch TV in her room, have some privacy. Unfortunately, I would bring food into her room and by mistake, I might have spilled some soda on her carpet and she was not very happy with that. Things changed though. One day, I'm walking home from school and I walk past a house that had put a whole bunch of junk on the curb and I am not a person who can resist a giant pile of junk. So I started looking through it and somebody threw out a cable box and I thought, wow, what a find. I grabbed it, ran home with it and I hooked it up to our TV set just to see if it worked and it did. That's when I got an idea. What if I could split the cable in my sister's room, run it into my room, and get cable television? I went to the one place I needed to go to to find the right piece of equipment I need, which was Radio Shack. I got a splitter, I got some cable, ran home, and realized I didn't buy enough cable. So then I did something that really annoyed my family, my sister in particular. I drilled a hole right through the walls between our rooms and ran the cable that way. Now I didn't think about the size of the cable, so I, I used a pretty large drill bit and the hole was about the size of a golf ball. The cable fit perfectly and when I hooked it up, everything worked fine. But my sister noticed because now the sounds between our rooms carried really well, especially the TV sounds. I don't think I noticed as much as she did, but over time we started shoving things around the cable to quiet things so that there was no interaction between our rooms. I'm sure MacGyver would have done a better job. Oh yeah, the subject of today's show is MacGyver. MacGyver would have taken a straw and some sort of powder and then slowly worked it through the wall and you would hardly even notice that the cable went through the wall. That's not how I do things. I'd be a poor MacGyver. I'm just all brute force. If we didn't have a drill and all we had was a hammer, I just would have hammered a hole through that wall to get cable television. I probably would have blown up the wall just to get cable television in my own room. After I got TV in my room, I never left my room. That thing was on when I was home 24-7. One of the shows I would enjoy during that period was MacGyver, a show I didn't even need cable to have, but it's a fun show. And like a lot of young people, I dreamed that one day I could have the skills that MacGyver has. Unfortunately, I'm not MacGyver, but I can be a big fan of the show. And I'd like to talk to you about MacGyver today. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera, we'll talk about production, we'll talk about some of the plots, the 2016 reboot, and of course we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
MacGyver is an action-adventure, sometimes I think science fiction, television series. It was created by Lee David Zlotoff and was produced by Henry Winkler and John Rich. Winkler, you might remember, played the Fonz on Happy Days. He also makes just one cameo in the season six episode of MacGyver, playing a lawyer, something he would go on to play later on TV's Arrested Development. The show would run for seven seasons, was on the ABC network. The show happened because there was an intersection of those three people just at the right time. Winkler had just finished his over-a-decade run on Happy Days. Rich had been on a sitcom called Mr. Sunshine, canceled on ABC. And Lee David Zlotoff was working as a producer on the TV show Remington Steel. So they started talking about this show about a person who uses their brains over brawn and comes up with solutions, and they sold the idea to Paramount, and that's when ABC became interested in the series. If you watch the show, you'll note that the first two seasons and the final season look different than seasons three through six. That's because there were different filming locations. In seasons one, two, and seven, the show was filmed in Los Angeles, and then in those middle seasons, they moved to Vancouver, Canada, and that's because the show was almost canceled due to its high production costs because there's a lot going on and it's I guess cheaper to film in Canada. Some of the main changes you'll notice if you watch the show, especially right in a row, is that there's a lot more locations when they move to Vancouver, kind of change locales all the time in that area. But also MacGyver finally kind of moves into the place where a lot of people associate him living, which is a houseboat. And that houseboat was docked in a Vancouver boatyard. And when the show was over, they sold it. In 2014, the houseboat was sold for under $40,000 on Craigslist. So there's somebody who owns MacGyver's houseboat and got it for a steal, especially since its valuation was in the $200,000 range. I can't imagine that it was in great shape, though. and I'm sure someone's going to have to put a lot of money into fixing it up. Hopefully they got some MacGyver skills. One of the most important aspects of MacGyver is its star, Richard Dean Anderson. Comes across as a smart, kind of aw shucksy boy next door. But when people were looking for an action star, that's not at all who came to audition. This was the 80s, of course. And, you know, there's a lot of tough-talking, commando-style, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, people who came out for this role. When Anderson came in for the role, he actually used reading glasses and put them on. And Winkler thought that that was a very humanizing thing, that it captured something about the character that nobody else had brought. And they thought this guy's going to be a breakout star right away. And Dean was up for the task. When I say he's up for the task, Anderson did a lot of his own stunts in the series. This, of course, becomes problematic as you accumulate damage to your body. So in later seasons, you start to note that there are stunt doubles doing a lot of the work for him. But it's pretty impressive that he would put himself on the line. And you could see that during earlier seasons that, wow, that's actually Richard Dean Anderson doing these things. One of the defining things about MacGyver, and something that makes him kind of a departure from action characters in any decade, is his disdain for guns. Instead, he's just armed with, most of the time, a Swiss army knife, and his, of course his brain, and this leads him to come up with all sorts of what are called MacGyverisms, solutions to problems. There are guns littered about whenever MacGyver is doing anything, and I am sometimes just wanting to scream for him to pick up the gun. This would be over in five seconds, but no, MacGyver is MacGyver, and he has to come up with a solution that's often non-lethal, that gives people the benefit of the doubt. And once you start to accept that, and it probably takes two seasons if you're watching the show from beginning to end, you start to realize there's just no way. He's never going to pick up that gun. 
he does pick up a gun in, I think, the pilot episode, but gives it to somebody else. But that's the pilot before everything gets locked down. In later seasons, he actually picks up a gun and then, of course, uses it as a wrench as opposed to using it as a gun. MacGyver likes a challenge. Talking about that pilot, there's an interview with executive producer John Rich where he said that the original pilot was over 90 minutes long and not very good. And so they came in and over a holiday recut the episode, brought it down to 60 minutes, and the original director of the pilot was so unhappy with these changes that he changed his name to the Hollywood generic pseudonym of Alan Smithy. So you can see that in the credits when you watch it. But it is Gerald Friedman who directed it. So MacGyver worked for two organizations. I guess he worked for some other organizations because, you know, he's in the Challengers Club, which is a boys and girls club. But the two he worked and did his missions for were the DXS, which is very hard for me to say multiple times. I will have, I'm sure, edited some of this, but I just tried to say DXS several times fast and it came out very odd. The DXS is the Department of External Services, which is a U.S. intelligence agency where MacGyver and his buddy Peter Thornton are working during the first season of the show. MacGyver was recruited by Pete. We find that out in season two. In future seasons, they would work for something called the Phoenix Foundation, which is a non-profit think tank and government contractor. It's this agency that just does about everything. They're really pro-environment, really pro-whatever MacGyver's into. And at the same time, their work at the DXS still kind of comes up, especially Pete's connection to it, so they don't abandon it. This is especially important when it comes to one of, I'd say, the main villain of MacGyver, Murdoch, who works for the Homicide International Trust, or HIT, which is almost G.I. Joe-like in its amazingness. So there's this recurring character, Murdoch, and the characters of HIT, and we learn a little bit about their organization, and it's really campy and cartoony and really endearing. Makes me so happy when there's anything that involves Murdoch and HIT. Looking at even the Phoenix Foundation, I'm often curious. It's such a large organization that does so much and seemingly has an unlimited budget. It's kind of a dream job for anybody who wants to work in anything because you're kind of doing good, I guess, for the world. And yet you get to go on adventures. And MacGyver seems to get paid a tremendous amount of money to do things because sometimes he'll take his money instead of taking it. He'll give it to the person who was either victimized or the main thrust of that episode. And those people are always overjoyed because it allows them to buy a whole new life. So I think he's getting paid $100,000, $200,000 per mission in the 80s. I think that's pretty good money. After these messages, we'll be right back. Well, MacGyver is a kind of uh, troubleshooter. Tape. Never leave home without it. He likes to make clever little things out of odd bits. It's a little recipe I use in emergencies. Oh. Not perfect. Ah. Yeah. Who are you? He's MacGyver on USA. Weeknights at 7, 6 Central. Air freshener. 129 on debit MasterCard. Tube sock. $4. Paperclip, ballpoint pen, rubber band, tweezers, nasal spray, and a turkey baster. $14. The little things that get you through the day, priceless. There are some things money can't buy. For everyday stuff, there's debit MasterCard. And now, back to the show. 
Now let's talk a little bit about the cast of MacGyver. It's pretty simple. There's two main characters and then quite a few recurring characters, but the most important character is Richard Dean Anderson playing Angus MacGyver. That's right. His first name is Angus which we don't find out for multiple seasons. Once I knew his name was Angus, after watching it originally, and I've been doing a rewatch, I keep waiting for them to drop it again, thinking, oh, this would be a good time. But nobody even seems to question. It's kind of weird. If I knew someone who was constantly going by kind of one name, I would have to ask them, especially if I knew them a lot. I would constantly ask, what's their full name? It's just me. So MacGyver is a secret agent, agent of the Phoenix Foundation, where it's not so secret, goes about trying to do good, carrying a Swiss army knife, some duct tape, and the most important weapon of all, his mind. Huh? Not bad. We do know that MacGyver had some family issues. Parents got killed in traumatic ways. Kind of haunts him. He doesn't allow a lot of people to get close to him. From what I understand, that might have been because whenever they brought in a female character to get close to MacGyver, they would get a lot of letters from fans who did not want MacGyver to wind up with anybody because they liked the idea of MacGyver being available, I guess. Or maybe the idea that he could just romance more people. It's during the seventh season that we find out his first name. According to Richard Dean Anderson, he suggested the name because he just saw it on a sign in Vancouver while he was living up there and just thought, hmm, that sounds good, Angus MacGyver. It's a good name, although they were calling him Angus the whole time. I don't know if I would have liked that. MacGyver's better. Before the show's premiere, though, there was actually a second name for the character that they would never use. There were these flyers that were circulated by Paramount, and they credited Anderson as playing Stacy MacGyver. And this is probably because it was taken from an early version of the script. When they were trying to come up with the name of the character, Zodoff said that he wanted something that sounded really masculine. And they were going to call this character just Guy, which is a bit on the nose. So they decided that they would add just something to the word Guy, and they added Mac Guy, and then, yeah, that's okay. And then they went with MacGyver. Richard Dean Anderson was born in 1950. He's an American actor, producer. He started his television career as Dr. Jeff Weber in the soap opera series General Hospital and worked there till 1981. If you heard my Facts of Life podcast, you'll know that I talk about his participation on that show in an attempt at a spinoff. He's probably best known as MacGyver, but he would return to television in a pretty major way in the TV series Stargate SG-1, which was a spinoff of the 1994 film, and he played the lead on that show from 97 to 2005. Now, I can't go away from the character of MacGyver without mentioning his pocket knife. The one that you see him using mostly was the Spartan model of Swiss Army knife from Victorinox. But in the opening credits, the model you see was a Wenger. I don't know a lot about Swiss Army knives, but according to sources online, you can tell that by its keychain. I think most people just say he carries a Swiss Army knife. The other major character on the show was Pete Thornton, played by Dana Elkar. He's MacGyver's boss and, I would say, best friend. Worked with him at the DXS. Probably brought him over to the Phoenix Foundation as well. They're buddies, almost like brothers. Pete is one of the people who, when MacGyver's brains and pocket knife fail, he comes to the rescue. We learn that Thornton has a son named Michael. We see him in an episode where MacGyver has to come to the rescue. Later in the show, we learn that Pete has glaucoma, and this is because Dana Elkar developed glaucoma in real life, would later go blind from it. 
Ibsen Dana Elkar, his first name is Ibsen, was born in 1927, sadly passed away in 2005. He appeared in 40 films, but he's probably most remembered as Pete Thornton on MacGyver. He was originally in the pilot episode as another character, Andy Coulson, a different character completely. He would make his first regular appearance as Pete Thornton in the 11th episode of the first season. Some of the movies that you might have seen Elkar in are The Sting, 2010, All of Me, The Last Flight of Noah's Ark, The Champ, lots of great movies. He got one of his earlier starts on a soap opera. He was on the CBS daytime show The Guiding Light, where he played Andrew Murray starting in 1962. He also had a recurring role as Inspector Schiller on the TV show Beretta, which starred Robert Blake. Now, I'm going to talk about characters who recur but are not main characters, starting with Murdoch, played by Michael DeBar. Murdoch is this mysterious character who is the master of disguise, likes to take photos of his victims before he kills them, and he is very successful killing everyone except for anyone associated with MacGyver. He's in about seven episodes of the show. Every time it's very memorable, and every time he pretty much dies at the end and somehow comes back in a very improbable way. Michael DeBar played Murdoch. He was born in 1948. He's a British actor and singer. He's probably best known to everyone, though, playing Murdoch on MacGyver. He would also replace Robert Palmer in the band Power Station and appeared in Live Aid in 1985. Bruce McGill played Jack Dalton, the sort of comic relief troublemaker of the show. He's a soldier of fortune pilot. He's the type of character you would have seen on the TV show Magnum P.I. Would have been very happy to see him there, too. He's full of get-rich schemes that often get MacGyver in trouble. Bruce Travis McGill, born in 1950. American actor, probably best known for his role in a couple of Michael Mann films. Although he got his big break in the 1978 movie Animal House, where he played D-Day. But then he was, of course, kept in the mind of everybody for his recurring role as Jack Dalton. He's a great character actor, has a great look, very charismatic. Brings a lot to the Jack Dalton role, who could be kind of annoying if he was not played by a very good actor. I'm going to blow through some of these other characters that recurred. You had Penny Parker, who was played by Terry Hatcher. Kind of dim-witted, well-meaning, damsel-in-distress type on the show. Kind of gets MacGyver into trouble all the time. But she's endearing enough, very friendly. Wilt Bozer played by Robin Mosley. You have Nikki Carpenter, who joins the Phoenix Foundation in the third season. I thought she was going to be more of a love interest, but they probably got some letters about that. And then there's just innumerable other recurring characters to go into detail on. Helen Wilson, played by Susan Chappell. Harry Jackson, MacGyver's grandfather, played by John Anderson. When you got a show that runs for seven seasons, there's just too many to name. Now, there were a lot of these secondary characters, and there was a lot of great talent behind them. But maybe it's time to learn a little bit more about just one of them. Here's Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Hi, friends. Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? For this go-around, I'm taking a look at character actor John Anderson, who played Harry Jackson, MacGyver's grandfather in that popular TV series. John Robert Anderson was born on October 20th, 1922, and garnered an impressive 242 acting credits before his untimely passing on August 7th, 1992. 
His youth was spent on a farm around Clayton, Missouri, and the young boy was commonly called J.R. But eventually he moved to Quincy, which some say was named after John Quincy Adams. An interesting fact, as Anderson would have the distinct privilege of portraying Abraham Lincoln three times throughout his career. And truth be told, he certainly bore a rather strong resemblance to our 16th president of the United States. That wasn't the only time he played a president, as Anderson also portrayed Andrew Jackson twice, and even one time he played as Franklin Roosevelt. John served in the Coast Guard during World War II, aiding in the protection of the ships in convoys against U-boat attacks. It was in 1946 that he began studying at the University of Iowa, earning a master's degree in drama. Getting his start on television with the 1950 episode of Fireside Theater, the actor would find himself frequently bouncing between film and TV projects. Of his many roles, some highlights include 1960's Psycho, where he played California Charlie, the used car salesman who sells one of his vehicles to Janet Leigh's character. He also appeared in 1962's Ride the High Country with Randolph Scott and Joel McRae. John was in four episodes of Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone. Of late, I think of Cliffordville, The Odyssey of Flight 33, The Old Man in the Cave, and one of my personal favorites, A Passage for Trumpet with Jack Klugman. Other notable appearances include The Outer Limits, Gunsmoke, Quincy M.E., North and South, Dallas, and Smokey and the Bandit 2, where he played the role of the governor. Not only did Anderson play a handful of presidents, but he also played Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis twice, the commissioner of baseball from 1920 to 1944. And while his last name is Anderson, John was in fact no relation to Richard Dean Anderson. This has been Fix Sage with Why Should I Know This Person? Signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. The show first broadcast on September 29th, 1985. It would do pretty well during its run. Became a sleeper hit for ABC during its second season. Landing in the top 50 for shows was the lead-in for ABC's Monday Night Football. By the time the show was getting into its final seasons, there just wasn't a lot of spend on marketing, and Richard Dean Anderson would actually complain about this. So the seventh season was abbreviated, and the twelfth episode of the show was aired on December 30th, 1991, and wouldn't return until April 25th, 1992. At that point, the show had been canceled, and a previously unaired episode would follow on May 21st of 1992. ABC would replace the show with the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which was produced by George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. And they thought this is going to be a hit. It's based on Indiana Jones. Unfortunately, it never really caught on. I was one of the people very excited for the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and watched its entire run. But I got to admit, it didn't have that sort of hook that MacGyver had. And while it's probably a show I will cover here, when I compare it to MacGyver, I realize that because they were trying to explain a character I already knew something about, it failed to lock me in because there was no growth that I could see, or I knew what the growth was going to be, so I was never surprised. While reading about the show, especially those letters that people were writing, one of the more interesting incidents about MacGyver happened. 
during an episode that they were filming about poachers, the show spent a lot of money making a fake rhinoceros. And in that, the animal was destroyed. And viewers thought that it was a real rhino and sent letters in complaining. So it shows you, even though the show didn't have the production value of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, it's a pricey show. They spent $40,000 on that rhino and it fooled people. So some high production values on this show if you've never watched it. As the show came to an end, it was released worldwide, and it became a big hit. The show became so popular around the world that they released two movies for it, for television. Those were MacGyver, Lost Treasure of Atlantis, and MacGyver, Trail to Doomsday. Both were filmed in Europe, and both are great if you're hungry for more MacGyver. Reruns of the show still air all around the world constantly, and all seven seasons of the show have been released on DVD, as well as the two made-for-TV movies. There's a single release entitled MacGyver, the TV movies you could pick up. Now, there was a lot of great episodes of MacGyver, but which ones are the best? Here's Metagirl with the top five episodes of MacGyver. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans! This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five episodes from the action-adventure series, the original MacGyver. At number five is Season 2, Episode 11, Phoenix Under Siege, original air date January 5th, 1987. MacGyver and his grandpa Harry have plans to go to a hockey game. However, when they swing by the Phoenix Foundation to pick up the tickets, they uncover a terrorist plot to blow up the building. MacGyver must apply all of his ingenuity to defuse the bomb before detonation. Will he devise a solution in time? Number four is season two, episode 18, Partners. Original air date, March 2nd, 1987. What's old is what's new again, as MacGyver and Pete find their lives in jeopardy at the hands of Murdoch, the absurdly theatrical criminal who they thought had been killed long ago, that became Mac's arch rival over the course of the series. In his clutches again, Mac and Pete recall the first time that they were faced with death at the hands of Murdoch, an occasion seven years earlier that also marked the day that they met. Number three is Season 5, Episode 6, Halloween Nights, original air date October 30th, 1989. Unwilling to accept Murdoch's retirement from their criminal organization, a cartel of assassins abducts his sister. Murdoch turns to his nemesis, MacGyver, for help. They form an uneasy alliance and crash an awesomely 80s Halloween party on a mission to rescue Murdoch's sister from Death Row, a delightfully elaborate collection of traps, machine guns, and snakes. At number two is season four, episode nine, Cleo Rocks. Original air date, February 6th, 1989. Penny Parker, played by Terry Hatcher, gets the lead in a rock opera, and MacGyver goes to the theater to watch her rehearse. A string of mysterious accidents beset the actress. At last, it is revealed that the villainous Murdoch staged the entire musical, complete with sets, cast, and producer, to lure MacGyver and Pete to their end. As usual, Murdoch's revenge scheme is gratuitously complex, implausible, and awesome to watch. Did he build a dungeon under the theater stage? You betcha. And the number one episode of MacGyver is... Season 3, Episode 4, Ghost Ship. Original air date, October 19, 1987. While mapping uncharted wilderness in Alaska, MacGyver discovers an abandoned ship. 
Always at the mercy of his own curiosity, he boards the ship and discovers Bigfoot. Mac narrowly escapes a Yeti mauling with a young female Russian stowaway in tow. They then stumble upon thieves stealing oil from a nearby pipeline before a final confrontation with the Sasquatch. And there you have it, the Retroists' top five episodes of the original television series, MacGyver. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. The music from MacGyver was performed and written by Randy Edelman. Edelman was born in Patterson, New Jersey in 1947. He's 69 right now. He was a big collaborator with Ivan Reitman, producing several of his scores, including Twins, which I love not just the movie Twins, but the soundtrack. And he also worked on Ghostbusters 2 and Kindergarten Cop. For TV shows, MacGyver is probably his biggest work, although on television he also did the music for The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., the Bruce Campbell Western from the 90s. MacGyver changed a lot of how people perceive heroes and the need for them to be smart and use their brain. These so-called MacGyverisms would also be parodied most famously in recent history on Saturday Night Live, where they created the MacGruber character, and that would eventually become a motion picture that got released in theaters, something the original TV show never got. In 2012, a comic series, MacGyver, Fugitive Gauntlets, was released, had pretty favorable reviews and used original characters. Last issue, issue 5, was released on February 27, 2013. Even though people seem to like it, not enough, I guess, did. And we never got more of the MacGyver comic. If you're a fan of MacGyver and want to see the printed word of MacGyver, there was a MacGyver book called MacGyver on Ice, which was an original story, 128 pages, so pretty small. The plot takes place somewhere between the first and second seasons. Characters are just slightly different, but it's kind of interesting to see. There were some toys created for MacGyver, none of which I have ever seen in person, but I've been looking online and my mind has been blown. I think a lot of these were released for the international market and in packages, their prices are astronomical. MacGyver has appeared again with Richard Dean Anderson playing him for a series of commercials for Mercedes-Benz. You should check that out. You can find those BMW commercials online. Kind of interesting to see an older MacGyver do his thing. This is not the only time MacGyver was brought back out of retirement. They attempted to reboot the series on the WB in 2003. That never got past the pilot. And then in 2016, CBS premiered a brand new MacGyver rebooted series. It appears to be doing well. I've watched one episode of it, and it has a lot in common with the original. I'll probably continue to check it out, but that'll have to wait because I am in the middle of a rewatch of the original series again, which is on Amazon Prime. So if you are a MacGyver fan and want to watch it, you can have access to it. Not only do episodes get posted online all the time, but if you're an Amazon user, I know it's there. It'd probably show up on Netflix. And if you have any of the retro TV channels, it's a recurring show that pops up from time to time and they do the full run and then they stop and then it starts up again. So if you like some great mid to late 80s action, maybe you haven't watched it in a couple of years and you have a vague memory of some guy swinging a Swiss army knife, you forget some of the details, revisit the show. It is delightful. When I watch an episode that I really like again, 
I am tickled and think, wow, I wish that TV shows were like this more often. So do yourself a favor. If you haven't watched it yet, watch MacGyver. Maybe skip the pilot. It's okay, but not great. But I guarantee once you get familiar with the characters, especially once you get out of the earlier seasons where he's working for the government and moves into the Phoenix Foundation, you'll start to enjoy some of the convenience of the plots. And you'll certainly enjoy the charisma of these fine actors and the creativity of the very talented people behind the scenes. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you have feedback for Metagirl, you can email her at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great why should I know this person. You can find Vic at Retroist.com all the time. But if you have feedback for Vic, feel free to email him at VicSage at Retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. The DXS. The DXS. DXS. That is a weird word. Bloop, 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 bloop. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.